Hey friends, welcome to Artsy Engineering Radio, a podcast about solving problems in the world of software engineering from your friends at Artsy. Artsy is a platform for discovering, collecting, and selling your art. I'm Steve Hicks. I'm an engineer at Artsy. Uh, I'm based in Milwaukee. I kind of work on the front end for the most part. That's my specialty, but I'm especially interested in the, the human side of software. And I'm here with Ash. Hello, everyone. My name is Ash. Uh, I'm currently based up in Canada, and uh, I've done uh, pretty much everything at Artsy from front end to iOS to team lead stuff to everything. Everything. Well, not everything, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, Ash, you wanted to talk today about meetings, right? And especially having good meetings, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is something that uh, I've come across both as like an individual contributor on a team, as a team lead, as uh, someone who's facilitating like a cross-team meeting. And uh, I think meetings get a bad reputation among software engineers. Uh, we tend to like, yeah, we tend to see them as like distractions or uh, things that get in the way of the real work of, of coding. But I think that um, meetings can actually be really important because if you're working on your own, if you're coding, but you're not solving the right problem, or if you're solving the right problem in the wrong way, then, uh, you know, the, the, you're just creating more work for yourself. Uh, you know, like a half hour meeting might be able to save you like a week's worth of work. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, so, so that gives me a little sense of what you mean by good, good meeting. Maybe it, it is something that helps you save a little bit of time, but is there more to that adjective good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good meeting is one where everyone feels, uh, like their time is, is being well served. They're engaged by what's happening. Um, even if they're not speaking a lot, you can still have a good meeting where people are lurking. Um, some meetings are sort of like, a disseminating information, sort of a one-to-many. Um, sometimes meetings are more of a brainstorm. You can think of like many-to-many. Um, right. So it's not necessarily where everyone is talking all the time. Um, I, I think one one aspect of a good meeting is something called conversational turn-taking. So it's not something where one person is sort of dominating the meeting and just being the only person who's talking. But the, the flow of conversation... Um, takes turns and is passed back and forth. Yeah, definitely. That makes me feel like, um, that makes me feel like I I have a good feeling of what you mean by bad meetings, because (laughs) I think those meetings that don't have conversational turn taking, I've definitely experienced those. I think a lot of people have those feel like bad meetings to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. They, They feel bad. They're not just like, I mean, we could quantify them if we, if we wanted to, but the, the fact is that they feel bad. So, I mean, if it feels bad, it's a bad meeting. Yeah. Are there other, other ways um, that you think meetings can go bad? Yeah, there's a couple different um, ways. Like that's the big one for me, but um, sometimes meetings can get off track. Um, Sometimes that's okay, to be honest. You know, it's okay if you're having like a brainstorming meeting and you decide to go deep on one detail. Um, uh, but sometimes, uh, you know, like you have an agenda and it doesn't really, um, doesn't work out the way you, you think it does. And all of a sudden you have to schedule another meeting because you got off track. Um, so that can be a bad meeting too. Um, I think that, um, 
yeah, like th- that, that's how meetings can go bad. If, if, uh, if you miss an opportunity to like build the team trust or build interpersonal trust between members, that can also be like a bad meeting. Um, maybe not a bad meeting, but just like a, a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I like that, um, that idea of building interpersonal trust. Um, because I feel like even outside of the scope of meetings, that's really what you're going for on a team, right? And if the meetings are a tool that you can use to build that trust, that's great. Um, if they're going to harm you in building that trust, that doesn't sound exactly um, exactly fun. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so you were talking about uh, getting off track in meetings and you said sometimes that's okay. And I think one one of the ways that I've heard you describe this to me is through the, the words conversion versus divergence having a meeting that, um, you know, diverges from the original intention, um, that being okay. And, but at the end of the day, like you, or the end of the meeting, I guess you absolutely want to converge back on what it is that you're, you're there to solve. Um, can you talk more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of think of it as a, I'm making like shapes with my hands where they kind of go out and then come back in um, for the listeners at home. But you can sort of diverge in a meeting where you start out with like a problem statement or a brainstorm or, you know, some nugget of, uh, you know, whatever, like maybe there's some um, data that you want to to really dive into, or maybe you have an idea, or maybe there's a design you're trying to go over and you kind of uh, diverge from that. So generating lots of ideas, um, conversation is uh, very free form. It doesn't follow a lot of structure. Um, and then at a certain point in the meeting, you'll want to like converge back to a point. So my hands are coming back in together. Um, <laughs> you want to take like the, the, um, the bulk of what you've discussed and kind of either summarize or recontextualize or kind of boil it down to, um, to something smaller. And I think meetings tend to uh, go through these two phases um, several times. I mean, like it's very, uh, you know, a brainstorm meeting might only be divergent um, or, or like a, a meeting to like make a single decision might be solely convergent. But um, most meetings tend to ebb and flow in these sort of like branching right. out, branching back in or cu- uh, culling, I guess. I, I don't know what the, the term is, but uh, <laughs> yeah, exploring and then coming back in to make a decision. And most meetings end with a convergence. So at the end of it, you yeah. have a, a decision that's been made or you have a, um, uh, you know, a series of maybe it's a retrospective and you have a bunch of action items that people um, need to follow up on. Um, but that's the kind of how I think about the, the shape of a meeting. Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, uh, ever since you pointed those words out to me or that p- described it in that way, I've been noticing noticing that idea of convergence and divergence in a lot of different things, like tooling. Like tooling, kind of uh, at some point, it'll diverge from being one way of doing things, and then uh, it'll be too divergent, and people start to converge on like um, you know a, a set of tools to do to do it in one way. Um, that's great. Um, so I kind of want to jump back to that word trust that you were talking about. Uh, it makes me feel like um, a really important part of of that process of having a good meeting is to just uh, just be aware of the team dynamics and to um, to to kind of navigate them in a way that uh, everyone feels like it's a safe place or everyone feels like the whole goal of everything is to to build trust. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. About that. Yeah, like team dynamics is such an interesting topic. And and honestly, I could like dive really deep into that. Um, but <laughs> I consider it a bit of like meeting mindfulness. I, I know that's like kind of, kind of an overloaded, almost like a buzzword nowadays. But um, 
maybe meeting awareness might be a better uh, a better way to describe it. Being aware of your um, of your team members who are on the call with you, um, uh, being aware of how they interact with you, how they interact with each other. Um, some people are um, a little less likely to offer their opinion unprompted. Some people, um, you know, maybe they're a little uh, overenthusiastic about offering their opinion, um, right. you know, all the time. Uh, and navigating that and uh, facilitating a good meeting, I mean, I think it's it's possible to navigate that um, as as anyone on the call, even if you're not facilitating the meeting, even if you're just an individual contributor. But yep. if you're running a meeting, then it's really important to be aware of that and to navigate it because you're you're kind of um, you're kind of steering the ship, so to speak. Like uh, it, it's your job to make sure that these um, interpersonal um, Boundaries are respected, but also that um, people feel like they have a chance to to contribute. Um, sometimes contributing is just listening, and that's totally fine. If if you're learning something in a meeting, then I I would call that um, a contribution that that's worthwhile. Um, but uh, but um, I've just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that um, being aware of of how people um, how people interact, knowing when to call on a certain person or um, or a group of people. Um, I don't like to call on individuals. I, I like to um, de-individuate a bit. Um, so the idea is that like if if there is um, someone on the call who hasn't said anything, it's, we're like half hour into the meeting, and I really want to like. Um, to give them an opportunity, uh, but I don't want to put them on the spot. Um, so I might say, you know, uh, say they're a backend engineer and they're, you know, maybe the only backend engineer on the call, but you know, they're still a member of that group. And I might say, okay, we've heard a lot from the front end engineers. Let's, let's uh, check in. Does anyone from the back end team have anything that they want to add? Um, right. And you can kind of flip this around too. So if someone is is really taking up a lot of time or um, not not really um, giving those opportunities for others to chime in, um, like some people just don't put a lot of pauses after their sentences for other people to to chime in, and that's just how they speak. Especially, you know, on our team, it's uh, we're, we're stretched um, between four different countries right now, and mm-hmm. all kinds of different um, social like. Um, that's what I mean by team dynamics. Like you have to navigate how people work and work with each other. So in the opposite case, I might say, okay, well, we've heard a lot from the front end engineers. Um, does anyone else have um, anything that they want to contribute? And that way I'm not saying, I'm not singling out a person as as talking too much. I'm just kind of like acknowledging the fact that they're contributing a lot through speaking and um, giving other people a chance to to chime in there. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, the you mentioned pauses, mm-hmm. uh, and that is a definite difference between people. Is not only the amount of pauses that they put at the end of their sentences, but also I think um, different people have different thresholds for when there's a long enough pause for them to start talking. Um, so, do you have any do you have any other tools that you use to 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 meet those people who wait a little bit longer than the rest of people to talk? Yeah, um, there's one tool that um, that I quite like. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty easy. It's just counting to ten. Um, if I have a uh, 
if I have a question, like say I'm introducing a new um, a new approach to solving a problem, I might introduce it and go through an example and kind of do that um, the, the the whole like spiel I have to to explain what I have to explain. But there comes a point where I have to pause and ask people if they have any questions, and right. I'll say, "Does anyone have any questions?" And then in my head, I will count to ten, and that's super awkward. <laughs> like I, I can feel the, my, my mind is just like begging me to say something to <laughs> fill the silence, but it's really important because, um, I've noticed and, and like, as, as people sort of try adopting this trick, they'll know what the length of time is right for their team. But, um, on meetings that I run, I know that there are some people who need the full 10 seconds in order to, um, really, um, get out of the the listening mindset uh, to think, you know, is there anything I want to say to come up with a formulation of the words that they want to say, how to express that idea or question, yeah. and then give them the space to actually uh, articulate that. Um, so I've, I've, you know, uh, I was on a meeting with, that I wasn't facilitating uh, recently um, and it, someone asked, you know, um, any questions? No, great. And there was hardly any pause. And I was like, <laughs> It was in such contrast to um, to uh, have approached things that it really stood out to me. That's almost like a like a nervous tick where you're. It's not like you really want to know if anyone has any questions. It's just this habit that you say that at the end before you move on a uh, transition, almost even. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I definitely am a slow processor of my thoughts. It takes me a long time to think things through, and it takes me a long time to um, sometimes even formulate an opinion based on the things that we're talking about. Uh, so that that pause, that ten second pause, sounds really helpful to me. Um, I that's a that's a thing that um, it makes me feel like it gives me a chance to think about those things and, and put them into words before we move on, and that's that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a question for you about. Uh, so, like I said, as a, I'm absolutely sure that I talk more in meetings than I think that I do, but I also think that I talk less than most. But as a person like that, um, there are times where I can be quiet and um, engaged. And there are times where I can be quiet and, and disengaged or even feel like it's not really a safe place for me to, to say the things that I really want to say. Um, I'm curious if you have any tools or any strategies for noticing when the atmosphere goes from, oh, this is just quiet a quiet meeting where, um, you know, maybe one person is doing most of the talking or two or three people, uh, versus this is now a place where people aren't comfortable. Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I think that it, it comes back to an awareness of the team dynamics. If, if there's, Mm -hmm. Hmm, that's a really tricky one because some people are just naturally more, um, I, I consider them to be like lurkers, you know, it's just their natural um, inclination is to listen and to absorb in the background. Um, right. And to try and differentiate between when someone is in that kind of mindset to when they're just like disengaged and, and um, maybe they've opened up a text editor and they've started to do work during the meeting um, that's kind of an indicator that, uh, you know, things are, um, 
maybe this isn't like such a great meeting. Um, in the moment, right. it can be really difficult to to diagnose and um, and remedy that. I think that um, my approach has been to kind of let that happen, to notice it and make a note of it, and then uh, follow up with that person afterwards um, in a one on one just ask them like, Hey, how did you feel about that? Or, um, if I want to be really direct, um, you know, say like, I noticed that you didn't, um, you didn't really have a lot to say about this topic, even though I know you really care about it or, um, you know, try to find like some, some like common ground to start the, uh, the interaction from, I don't like to like accuse people of, of like (laughs) (laughs) being disengaged during a meeting, but find a common ground of like, okay, so I know you care about the retrospective or the technical um, topic we were going over, but you didn't have a lot to contribute. Just wanted to check in and make sure that you felt, you know, that this was worthwhile um, and, and letting them sort of um, take it from there. Um, Some people are, uh, they're more open in a one-on-one situation. Um, Some people are are more open over text rather than um, speaking over zoom. So it's, if you're facilitating a meeting and you want to be good at facilitating a meeting, sometimes you have to kind of park the problems with your meeting and, and follow up with them later in a way mm-hmm. that is really comfortable for the person that you're talking with. Yeah. Kind of building that trust still. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like the thing I'm really trying to avoid is um, like, I remember in school, sometimes I would be kind of like not even paying attention sometimes. And uh, that was a problem for sure. But then if the teacher suddenly calls on me um, to answer a question, then now we have another problem, which is that I feel uh, things, you know, I feel bad about um, uh, not paying attention. I feel called out. I feel a little bit attacked. Um, So I would rather stick with just having the one problem where this person wasn't engaged in that meeting that much than like call on them and add a bunch of other a bunch of other problems. Yeah, definitely. I think artsy is the, the first place that I've worked where I've seen people actually <laughs> admit to not paying attention, um, which is great because just, you know, instead of trying to beat around the bush and be like, oh yeah, um, about that point, I think <laughs> that uh, I'm not sure. Just outright saying something like, oh yeah, I was, I actually didn't hear that. Could you repeat it? Yeah. And I think that that's really helpful. Exactly. And that's, that comes back to the trust of like, um, you know, it's okay to admit mistakes. It's okay to have made a mistake and maybe like gotten distracted by something um, because it, you know, it, it's not a, you, you know, that people aren't going to be um, like thinking less of you or, um, or anything because you, you uh, admitted to, you know, getting distracted or something um, relatively really? consequential like that. <laughs> cool. So I'm really interested to know where um, where your interest in this topic comes from, because it seems like a thing that you're definitely passionate about. And uh, I know that you and I have had a lot of conversations about this more um, interpersonal side of software, but uh, I, I would like to hear from you more details about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I was always someone who described themselves as an introvert growing up. I, I wasn't really... Mm-hmm outgoing or anything like that. Um, but then I started, um, like I, I started, uh, in high school, I was like a salesperson at a radio shack of all places. Um, and you can't really be an introvert, uh, and be an effective salesperson. (laughs) Um, it didn't really align. Um, then I got to, uh, university and, um, afterwards where I, I found that I really loved like, 
um, teaching others. Um, I started giving like talks at local meetups and eventually conferences. Um, but at the same time, I was like, uh, you know, quite soft spoken at work. I didn't like to really rock the boat or anything like that. Um, so there was this like there started to um, or I noticed within myself this uh, tendency to be either introverted or ext- extroverted, um, depending on the situation. And um, I wrote like a blog post about this when I discovered the term um, ambivert, which is like mm-hmm. the idea that you can be both. And um, sometimes you're in one mode, sometimes you're in another. And it just kind of got me thinking about like how people communicate and how teams communicate. Um, back in, I think it was 2015, I started, um, really like researching how, how teams work, um, and team dynamics. Um, I, I, uh, I told my, my manager that I was going to do that. And, uh, yeah, I was a little nervous cause you know, this isn't like strictly speaking, like engineering or coding. Um, he thought it was a great idea. So, um, that was, uh, that was kind of the beginning of, of my research into how teams think um, and how they communicate. Um, and, and what I learned in my research was that you can think of teams and how teams work as a system. And as an engineer, that was like the aha moment for me. You know, um, mm-hmm. software works as a system, but um, but teams, you can think of teams as a system too. It's, it's not always helpful, but it's often very helpful in software engineering. Right. Um, and when I started thinking about that and like trying to apply the same kind of like, okay, so, um, you know, different components of a software system need to communicate over clear and well-defined boundaries, st- trying to apply that kind of thinking to a team of like, okay, well, there's a tech lead and a product manager and a designer and individual contributors and how they communicate um, needs to be sort of like thought about in terms of a systemic level, especially if you're trying to create um, like a, a feeling at Artsy where we have like multiple product teams that are each, each product team is responsible for managing its own, you know, how it works internally. But we also try to um, not standardize, but um come to um, like strong conventions around how teams work together. Um, So if you want to think about those conventions across many teams, you're kind of seeing the same system um, across those teams. And, and uh, that's a bit rambly, but uh, that's, that's how this all got started. Yeah, that's super interesting. I had not really thought about uh, the system aspect of teams before. Um, it honestly makes me feel like it's, it's more out of my control than anything else. Uh, just as systems being something beyond way, way beyond my, um, just my ability to affect change. Um, but that's absolutely not true. Uh, because I, I mean, you're actually like a huge inspiration for me in terms of, um, in terms of actually trying to go and affect that system and trying to, to make the changes and to make the culture be what you want it to be. Um, so, so yeah, uh, it's, it's great to know that, uh, it's great to think about it that way. Cause I, I just, I don't know a whole lot about systems thinking. Um, so I don't know a whole lot about the strategies to deal with that kind of thing. Um, do you have any, are there, are there any, uh, good places that I could learn about that kind of stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, thanks for your kind words. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that I want to um, preempt uh, this with is that if you're thinking in terms of systems, um, like when you're thinking about how teams work, 
there's there's two things to keep in mind. So the first is that um, like ideally you want a system where part of the system is a way to improve the system. Um, so sure. to say that another way, if you have a set of conventions or practices or styles of communication on your team, you want something built into those that helps them improve over time. Um, a really great example of this is um, I recently went away on um, vacation for three weeks. And when I came back, the um, the team had um, changed a few things to actually improve how, how we build software and how we um, QA software and work and everything totally like absent my um, intervention as like a team lead. And I thought that mm-hmm. was like, great. The system is great because it's self-improving. But not all systems are like that. And sometimes you have to kind of like, this is my second point, you have to kind of like escape out of the system in order to um, to improve it. And um, even as we think systemically about team dynamics, don't be afraid to um, to step out of it, zoom back and, and kind of question like if this is um, something worth pursuing through like the system that already exists, or maybe it needs to be um, uh, replaced or um, otherwise like uh, fiddled with outside of the the parameters of how, how the system works. Yeah. So all of that yeah. said, um, my real introduction to systemic thinking wasn't from um, like a bachelor of computer science. Uh, I mean, I guess it was, but the thing that actually got me thinking about systems and thinking systemically is a book by Buckminster Fuller called Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth. He really mm-hmm. envisioned Earth as this, um, you know, it's a planet, yeah, but it's also like a, a spaceship where we have uh, resources that we consume and replenish and um, energy that we can uh, spend in ways that we prioritize. So thinking about um, Earth and the people and the life here as um, as a series of systems that interconnect and interoperate, um, that really kind of woke me up to to how systemic thinking that I had learned in school could really be applied to, um, to people. Yeah. It's a good name for a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, there's, um, there's, a, a, I wrote a blog post and gave a conference talk as well. If people would like to check out more, it's kind of like a, it'd be a good launching point. If, if anything I've said is interesting and you'd like to, to learn more, um, it's called building better software by building better teams. And I have some further reading at the end of that, um, that you can also use. Cool. That's awesome. Do you have any other, uh, any other resources or, uh, anything that you want to share to point people to? Yeah. Um, there's another podcast. Um, I mean, we're, we're trying to get you to listen to our podcast, of course, but you know, once, <laughs> once you're done with us, you should check out the uh, soft skills engineering podcast. It's uh it's like a, a show where engineers will call in with their, um, with their questions or they'll write in rather with their questions. Um, and the hosts do a really cool job of like navigating how these like softer skills, um, that aren't like, you know, how to code, but how to, um, do this sort of like interpersonal navigation, like they'll offer advice on how to do that from their perspectives. Um, it's quite, quite worth checking out. Um, and uh, the only other thing I'd say is that if the meetings that you're trying to run are like educational in nature, if you're trying to teach or if you're trying to train others, then um, there's a book called make it stick. And it's all about mm-hmm. how to become a good learner, but there's so many lessons in that book about how to, how to become a good teacher too. Definitely. 
Um, I, I, I'll second that one. That's one of my favorites. Uh, cool. Ash, uh, thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks so much. Steve. And um, I hope I hope I get to have more of these conversations with you soon. Sounds good.